No, it's coming. It's not oh. coming back in society. <laughs> like, among who? <laughs> Just getting goose. No, it's coming back in my head now. Yeah, that was a. Uh... Was like, that was bad. That was no are, good. Are you? Are you sure you guys didn't make that up just to each other? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is entirely that is an possible. insightful question. Arani. It really could just be something we talked about at camp that, like, <laughs> yeah, we were retweeting to each other over and over again in a small space. Do we have any uh, smiteables? Any Jews? Well, we, we could, gotta, we we could start the show. News. We, we haven't started, started the show. show yet. That's yeah. uh, we're getting so. I mean, I feel like we're Ugh. approaching an almost auteur period of our interest in the show, where we just <laughs> forget to. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Actually, but that is there is a certain level of of truth to that, where like you get good and notorious enough at your craft that like you're yeah, just degrading notorious. <laughs> yeah, you, you're just degrading uh, <laughs> appreciation for like basic professionalism is just uh-huh. seen as like oh creativity. Wow. wow. Oh. It's just like no, he's just becoming old and cranky. Uh huh. Yeah. He but also, show up. in defense of being old and cranky, like yeah, welcome to the show. You clicked on the thing. You know what's going on. This is smite me, baby. A hey. podcast. I, I like that as an intro. All it's right. Um. Um. Yeah. I'm feeling confrontational. Um. My name is John Alcabes. I'm joined by my co-host Josh Marcus. Howdy. And Ayani Hayashi. Hi. I almost read the title of the note that I wrote. Um, and today we are a blasting off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to be talking about a probably not super well-known little alternative Jewish homeland. Mm-hmm. Indie, Israel. Yeah. Alt Israel. Yeah. yeah. Alt, that's, yeah, that's kind of what it is. It's, it's, if, if you were like, wow, I really like Windex, but I don't want to support Windex. I'd rather support Kirkland Signature, the Costco brand. This is kind of Kirkland Signature Israel. Yes, we're talking about the Jewish autonomous region of Russia, also known as Biro Bijan. Um, it was around before Israel was created as a modern nation. Um, it's it's an interesting little place. We'll get more into the details of it. It's kind of in a bizarre place. The flag is basically the gay pride flag. Yep, sure well, is. There's a lot kind of accidentally going on with uh, mm-hmm. Birobidjan, or also known. I'll also refer to it as the JAO for the Jewish Autonomous Oblast because Kyle, you are JAO. <laughs> But before we get into all that fun historical business, this, by the way, this is going to be a history, it's not a history uh, uh, episode. We do history <laughs> stuff now too. It's true. I feel like probably fifty. We're almost going fifty-fifty. Well, it's it, like I feel like it's like fifty percent Torah, twenty-five percent history, twenty-five percent stupid, stupid. Fifteen percent concentrated power of will, five percent <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> And I think it's 5% pleasure. 50% it's, pain it was never and 100% Fort Minor. reason to remember the name. Fort Minor is not all about self-care in the way that you're remembering them. There is no percent pleasure. <laughs> uh, speak for yourself. The music video for that song was literally just people doing like cool tricks and like throwing basketballs into hoops from very far away. Is that what pleasure looks like to you? When I was a child of a certain age, yes. Okay. You, you, that was like the dawn of YouTube, and you thought you could take over the world by doing trick videos. 
And you could for a while. Yeah, there was a time. There was three years where you could do that. There were three <laughs> innocent years. Golden years. Where it was a combination of flash animation, dumb mm-hmm. videos of animals, and yeah. uh, a 19-year-old jumping off of a skateboard and landing a, a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Eventually, that would all become Facebook and genocide. But we didn't know that. Back <laughs> yeah, and you back. can draw a straight line to the Rohingya genocide from there. Um, yeah. Anyway, what a time. Um, yeah. Are there any Jews in the news? Mindable deeds that uh, I don't know. We need to season this little podcast pie with before we get into it. Seasoning of the podcast pie. I don't really have any Jews in the news. The news has kind of just been like fucked. I mean, the news is always fucked. Yeah, it's been doesn't seem that uh that fun. No one's having any like fun Whoopi Goldberg gaffes. Mm-hmm. Like, I need Macklemore to walk out into one of his concerts wearing the big like the Junos, the big Juno. Mm-hmm. I need some. Oh, I wait, need something guys. exciting about that. Yeah, I have. Speaking of <laughs> notorious uh, Jewish appreciator Macklemore. Oh no, do we have Macklemore news? Well, not exactly. I'm just I'm in talks right now with his people to write about him and his golf brand. Oh, what good. is his golf brand? Um, it's called. People can Google it. <laughs> no, it's called. I guess I could talk about. It. I don't know why I'm being read. Um, it's called <laughs> Bogey Boys. Um, the clothing's actually sort of cool. Which why are you are... gonna destroy them? Why? What's the... no? I just think it's kind of a an interesting. When did An he... interesting next step for like a guy who was really big and then kind of got. I feel like the cultural moment kind of moved on from him and his style of kind of like slam poetry rap, etc. And I don't know. white rapper to kind of golf clothes designer is not. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. to me. It no, makes it's, so much sense. It's like not that radical, but I'm curious to like hear how he thinks about it. You know, I bet he'll be really nice to you. I bet he's gonna be so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, that would be exciting, though it's not a done deal. I, I get... think they're a little skeptical. They're like, why? Especially because all my other I mean, articles that's are how like, I feel. you know, Exxon, <laughs> they're leaving Russia. Like, how will it impact <laughs> that's the That's exactly how I feel. And they're like, why are you talking to Michael? Uh, you want to talk to, this is your passion project? Yeah, it is, in a way. It's like, hey, man, really, uh, I, I'm just a fan. I want I want Macklemore to come on the podcast, but only if he's in Jew face. I don't want I don't want regular Aryan Macklemore in the podcast. That's not why it's, it's not why we started this. We want uh, yeah. We want we want Keiklemore in the show. You can edit that out if you want. I don't think I will. That. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wow. <laughs> so maybe wow. we'll wait to drop this one until after uh-huh. you do your interview. Well, it's not when even it's a done deal, and he's certainly will never listen to this right but it would be a little bit like hey man did you call me Keiklemore? <laughs> i meant it as a compliment <laughs> to you because jews are good if he takes it as an insult that's him doubling down on his anti-semitism <laughs> right you actually really, you really trapped him on that one yeah, I, I should i should be the fucking journalist yeah, I, was gonna say, I fully double backed we're doing our your job for you <laughs> yeah oh i'm my so God. good at gotcha journalism that's like the ultimate i can gotcha. trap anybody <laughs> Wow. Holy shit. I should ask more questions like that. Um, So do you feel like your anti-Semitism was kind of developed or more heretical? (laughs) Yeah. Or hereditary, rather. Uh Not heretical. Not heretical. That's mainstream. Yeah. Unfortunately. Part of what we're talking about today is all about how not really liking Jews, Mm -hmm. pretty mainstream idea. And you know who has wackier ideas about the Jews than Macklemore is Russia. Yeah. Historically and in the present. 
you know, a lot of people might be thinking about Russia in the context of Ukraine and the invasion and all that stuff. Um, but this week we're going to take a wacky detour into their history. But I think in the end, you know, we'll hopefully make some connections and show that like some of the wildness going on with identity and belonging in the Soviet Union then uh, is still a live issue now. Certainly. And I think it also is worth noting, despite the fact we will probably draw connections, we kind of tossed around the idea of this episode for a while just because it's a kind of wacky little – I mean how often uh, – how like whenever someone is like, well, if the, you know the Jews aren't going to go to Israel, where else are they going to go? It's like until recently, I didn't know that there was like legitimately just a oh, there's a there is another option. It's not I just, mean, there's a few. I mean, well, yeah, you there's can like go wherever bunch. the fuck you want. Yeah, but Chinese in terms of Toronto Christmas, or, what's another big Jewish stereotype? I mean, that of like what they do in not in Jewish society that we're cheap and we love going to thrift ah, shops and popping way. tags. Yeah. <laughs> Popping tags. <laughs> I'm back on the Mac, baby. <laughs> I just thought like you were like back on drugs. Uh, man, I ran into John. He was back on the Mac in a big way. Okay. I think basically, but yeah, I, th- I would say it's worth, and if you're kind of just coming to these ideas and like learning about it kind of like we were, I think it's worth thinking about sort of as we talk about how different people who are in power sort of make decisions about where a people ends up i think it's worth kind of you know uh tying and maybe thinking about how some of those lines can be drawn up arbitrarily and sort of what the consequences of those things are because you know we obviously can see it in the context of israel and palestine and all that but really like the vast majority of the world is still currently undergoing some version of figuring out exactly what this is because of a bunch of arbitrary lines drawn up, you know, not even a hundred years ago yeah. at this point. There was this hot book uh, going around hot when book. I was in college, smoking hot book um, <laughs> called Imagine Communities. And you don't really need to read it because it's all there in the title, but like, yeah, Imagine Communities, you know, a lot of the, our nations, our borders, our units of identity are just kind of. You know, it's all stuff we make up. The only, you know. And then it's also like you can go into different, all the, all different places and regions in the world and see kind of like who played, you know, who played ball with the powerful, who didn't, kind of what decisions they were trying to make. And like, it's pretty easy to be able to kind of like take that, for example, and then look at like the geography of the Middle East, for example, and like, hey, how come the Kurds don't have a state? When you talk about where the Kurds live, it's like, oh, uh, kind of all in the same area, but like four different countries. Right. It's just like, you know, there's there's reasons behind that. It's not yeah. just an arbitrary. We're going to have, you know, there there are three to five discussion questions at the end of this episode, and we'll, we will be checking your work. We'll so. quiz you. Yeah. yeah, that's right. If you don't show your math, then better for me, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't show your math. We don't want to see that shit. <laughs> Keep that to um, yourself. Perv. Okay. So I guess I'll just hop into this little thingy that I wrote. Um which I'm gonna Do read. you want us to let you let it fly, or, or you know, in? you could definitely chime in because okay. I'm also like skipping a lot of details and stuff. So if stuff gets unclear, ask questions, or if you just got something funny to say about how goofy people have been throughout history, that's fine too. History mad goofy, yeah. Because I mean, you can look at all of the stuff, especially from like the late 1800s to like the early 1900s and like the shit that's flying off of like white people's brains of that time is just like bizarre (laughs) 
It's just like, ah, colonialism. What if it's because uh, the, the demon cocks were in all other races' butts at all times, and that's why they can't fight as well as we do? And <laughs> Who said that in particular? Not the British. Uh-huh. Um, wow. I mean, but no, there's like all kinds of stuff where you can see how like uh, there's a lot flying around that's just like, wow, white people have sort of conquered the world for money and markets, and now we have to sort of retroactively apply a philosophy behind it. Um, which is kind of how you get weird shit like Aryan and eventually like Nazi supremacy and all these things, which is just sort of a, a, a logical through line of, you know, if and, spe- and also it's worth noting that like people don't there's like science is a big thing, too, more so than it had been in like the last hundred years in terms of like a justifying force for moving society so it's like we got to look for beyond just like god-given rights that we all you know we've been reading the Torah. we all know about that they're also saying like this is when phrenology kind of comes together the idea of eugenics is kind of popping off in california like this whole era of like what we think of as like the evils of modern society that we're trying to avoid today is like this is where it all fucking yeah it was a great century for white evil oh one of the best if not the best yeah it's like it's kind of like when we were talking about uh like the early emma goldman's life how that was like right that was like two decades before colonialism like reaches its most brutal um anyways some dark stuff all yeah, right so that's the waters we're swimming in yeah um so in order for us to really talk about the formation of a jewish homeland i would argue that we actually have to go back Uh, In history a little bit to get a greater kind of context of how Jewish people in Russia were treated as part of the Russian state in all of its various iterations. We're talking basically in three parts, which is the modern era, which is kind of the one that we're dealing with today. The Soviet Union, that was a big deal when it happened. Um, And the Russian Empire, which was a really big deal for a really long time that also ended not that long ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. World War II gets a lot of... uh, of airtime in like our public consciousness, but World War One was not that long ago either. We don't get in uh, a great education of Russian history beyond sort of like the greatest hits in the U.S. Uh, but you know, if you didn't know it, here's a here's a nice little primer. The vast majority of land that makes up the country we call Russia is not really populated by what you we would call like ethnically Russian people. Obviously, it stretches from Europe all the way to uh, to Asia and to the um, its eastern coast is on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, so there's a lot of people kind of in between there who uh, wouldn't necessarily be considered Russian or white or anything like that. Um, from the times of kings and boyars fighting the Mongols to the president engaging in war in Ukraine and Chechnya, various uh, states of Russian imperialism have all had differing approaches to have how exactly to deal with all the different groups that fall under their control. You got a lot of different people. You'll see it today, too, in the way that Russia is sort of broken up there's a lot of places that are called independent federalist republics or they're called cries or oblasts or thing like that and a lot of them are based down ethnic lines of just like hey this is the one where this ver- this- these people live um and they get to decide um which is a nice little segue to a little thing called the pale of settlement mm-hmm. this was the first time i learned about this really really oh. even as a as yeah as a person who grew up in jewish institutions who is Ancestors were likely controlled by the Pale of Settlement. Uh, yeah, first time I ever heard of it. It's important. It's an important one for everyone to know. I think actually I'd beyond say just so. Um, so, hey, 
you didn't know. There's probably listeners who don't know. For anyone who doesn't know, the Pale of Settlement uh, was an area within the Russian Empire where it's basically the only area that Jewish residency was allowed. Um, obviously, there were some people who were kind of able to – movers and shakers – Kind of, they always have exceptions drawn for them, but for the most part, it's this kind of area in, uh, in Poland and Belarus and some parts of Ukraine too. That kind of it all came into the empire during the partition, the first partition of Poland, which was kind of a big deal because that was sort of the beginning of Russian oppression of the Poles and sort of just breaking up their polity. Um, and then what they did was kind of like, and look, only the Jews have to live in Poland, so kind of. It's an early start to sort of stoking what were probably already previously uh, existent tensions between Polish people and uh, Jews. Within the Pale itself, there were also different laws that concerned, like, how close Jews could live to certain cities. They would often be barred from being in, like, major, you know, areas of land and stuff like that, which is also part of why we they ended up developing an isolated culture that we kind of know as, of like, shtetl life. You know, it's like there are often proximity laws about like you can be Jewish and live here, but not within 20 miles of the city. And were they kind of barred from certain professions, certain yeah. kinds of education? So like it's also it's not just a geographical thing. It's not just a cultural thing, but it turns into kind of a class thing, too. Yeah. In general, they're not really allowed to engage in agricultural practices. So that leads them to be like tradespeople, which... I think is ultimately part of why, like there, there, you often see Jews of some, of some kind of like monetary kind of, how am I trying to say this? Of some wealth, mm-hmm. um, some of them get quite rich and whatever because they don't. They're they're essentially barred from being regular old Russian peasants, um, but they're also barred from really attending universities and stuff. It's part of what facilitates the yeshiva culture too. Um, Jews are the original entrepreneurs, original founders, culture startups. Yep. The only S2, we have the grind set yeah. in our DNA. <laughs> Rise and grind against the empire. It's worth noting, too, that the Russian Empire uh, also kind of would use opening and closing different parts to the Pale of Settlement as a colonizing force to sort of encourage what they would consider more loyal subjects to sort of populate an area that they had just captured. Um, which is not really unique to – that's just an imperial thing to do. But keep it in mind because it will come up again. It perhaps was coming up now, um, but I wouldn't know anything about that. Um, so throughout the uh, history of the region, the idea of the Pale of Settlement was generally popular as a concept. Um, settlements outside of the Pale would periodically become legally available for Jews to settle in, only for it to be prohi- prohibited within a few decades, and they'd all be forcefully uh, removed back to the Pale. And all their- another, another theme we'll encounter. Yep, and all their property uh, <clears throat> confiscated. Definitely has never happened ever again since then. Uh, any opposition to the Pale of Settlement was largely symbolic. When the Duma was formed, which is kind of like the monarchist... Uh, Constitutional monarchy? Yeah, the thing? constitution part where they have like, hey, there needs to be a bunch of representatives who uh, don't do anything. Um, go back to our uh, Emma Goldman episode where a bunch of people realize that that doesn't really work. Um Basically, there were, like, Jewish members on the Duma and whatever, but they didn't really wield any power. And every time they would try to be like, hey, let's abolish the Pale of Settlement, the, like, right wing in Russia would just be like, what about we just expel all the Jews? How about that? How about that? And uh, the second one was generally found to be more popular, but uh, I don't think it ever really 
happened exactly. And then just on a side note, empires do not behave super unpredictably, so Jews were not the only recipients of racist and discriminatory policy or action. Genocide was kind of just a tool of the Russian Empire, as it is for all empires. Mass murder, deportation were all common tactics, as well as opening military service to some ethnic groups and denying it to others. You kind of see a big one with that with different bands of Cossacks and stuff. Some of them would spend centuries fighting the the czar and others would be were basically their royal guard so it's complicated there uh another tool that was used which is uh um that they did is just by kind of denying that they ever existed um a big people who are kind of in that category today are like the ainu who live in they also live in japan too but there's groups of them who live in russia and they just basically the russian empire has never kind of recognized them as existing and the soviet union never did and russian federation currently yeah, it's that's that's, My, a, that's uh, I was opening one. an unprecedented number of tabs when I was looking at researching for this episode because I just yeah, as you're saying, I mean the what we learn about Russia is so colored through the Cold War and even even it's like not that informative about the Cold War. It's just like there was a missile crisis, there was a Berlin Wall and then it was over. Yeah. But yeah, I this researching this episode really helped me. I mean, I knew there was a Russian empire, but really think about it as like, oh, it, it it's not just it was an empire in name. It has like all of the characteristics and all of the complexities and like just kind of deliberate choices that empires make to do. This it's it kind of has the cover of being of being in control of largely lands that like the American consciousness doesn't think of mm-hmm. very much. And because it doesn't have the same level of like romance to like getting on a boat mm-hmm. and like sailing to the new world and like and i i hate to use the term romance but that is part of it is like wow they were really fucked up but they were really brave where it's just the expansion of the russian empire is just sort of this like several centuries creep of like just brutality and like yeah and i also wonder if there's like a weird like people might be worried like to think deeply about another people as an empire leads to some uncomfortable questions about if you're an empire too, because it's like, wow, it's like the Russians were constantly like pushing this frontier outward and, you know, making selective deals with people who they consider different races from them and then periodically just killing everyone. Like, isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. You could definitely name a whole section of Russian em- imperial history as just eastward expansion, much the same as we have our own period of westward expansion. Yeah. Which is just a euphemistic term for. Man, wouldn't it be cool if we killed a lot of people who didn't look like us? Which, hey, you know, a little tie back to the Torah. Listen to our last episode. <laughs> you know, only problem with imperialism, eventually you run out of West. <laughs> Globes round, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you think about it. All of this to say, the Russian Empire is a story of history of granting and taking away various privileges of autonomy for a huge number of different ethnic groups, peoples, and regions. And that's sort of the background that leads us to the formation of our uh, our little JAO, Jewish Autonomous Oblast. So the Russian Empire, spoiler alert, was overthrown on March 2nd, 1917. See ya. Um, but the methods and of ethnic divisions and organizing peoples and territories were not completely upended. You could argue that they weren't really upended at all. Citizens of the Soviet Union were all assigned to an ethnic affiliation at the age of 16, and there were various Soviet republics that were organized along ethnic lines. When you think about all of the different Soviet bloc states, essentially, that's what we're talking about here. So when we're talking about a place like Kazakhstan or Tajikistan or like Kyrgyzstan or whatever, those are just 
those were Soviet, former Soviet republics that were just named for whatever dominant ethnic group they kind of were given the most, you know, props to. Um, so Kazakhstan is populated a lot by Kazakhs, so on and so forth. What ended up happening, too, is because of the USSR being the way it was, uh, as I previously mentioned, a lot of Jews were craftspeople. Well, the opportunities to pursue kind of like private property and uh, private oh, like business ownership kind of ended, right? So you have massive unemployment among mm-hmm. Jews. A lot of bougie Jews who are not very popular with yeah. the Marxists. You know, could I add in one other little bit of Absolutely. context? Absolutely. Um, so right around the time the Russian Empire is giving way to the uh, Soviet Union, um, it's also kind of the birth of Zionism happening in Europe, the political movement that's basically trying to find a, a you know a more permanent homeland for the Jewish people. Um, you know, it's in response to a lot of these horrible violence and pogroms and you know anti-Semitism throughout Europe and history, but you know especially in the 1800s and other places like in the Pale of Settlement, like in other places in what is now Eastern Europe. And so like at the same time, Russia's trying to figure out, okay, like we're this new unit. How are we going to deal with all these people? Jewish thinkers of many different varieties are trying to think or what they call like the Jewish question. Like, what are we going to do about ourselves? Where are we going to go? Should we try and assimilate? Should we try and do our own thing, have our own territory? Should we take up arms? Like it's a very just like hot concept that everyone's trying to figure out you could very much say that this area like this era is also the kind of formation of sort of the divisions we see in the jewish community about like who's reform who's conservative Mm -hmm. who's orthodox sort of what level of assimilation is appropriate like do we celebrate christmas like or or whatever like these are kind of the questions that are happening too also worth noting because i didn't mention it before during the time of the russian empire pogroms are 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 illegal only in name so like they will kind of like routinely like my i remember my great grandmother i think was like hiding from cossacks and stuff and that was part of the decision they made to like fuck this we're going to america yeah yeah my folks came pre-world war ii for similar i like i don't know who was doing the program but there's a story of a distant relative hiding out in the back of a train because you know that was kind of a quick way to get out um, and that'll come back again, too, because what ends up happening during that time is that a lot of the Cossacks end up kind of um, siding with the the white Russian army, which was kind of the like reinstate the monarchy army during the Russian Civil War. And that doesn't really pan out super great for them. Um, um, just one thing I should add, the thing that one of the things that made Zionism such kind of a pressing thing for people to want to figure out was that basically like the. Jewish people were clearly some kind of united thing. They had some things in common. They had some sort of history. They had some sort of religion, but they didn't have, they didn't all speak the same language. Some spoke German, some spoke Yiddish, some spoke Russian. They didn't all live in the same place and they didn't have the same values about like how to be in relation to the rest of the society. So, you know, you'd have like, I was listening to some, some historians talk about this, like there would be pogroms because you know, if you're between Poland and Russia, because the Russian people thought the Jews were working for the Poles and the Poles thought the Jews were working for the Russians. And in many cases, they were because they were distributed through society. So, like, it was just this big question, like, what do we do? Is the are the Jewish people people? And if so, should we do something about that? Because they're kind of just this, like, stateless blob that's sort of its own thing, but also part of everything else. Right. And I think, you know, Still kind of working on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah still. <laughs> Overall. Uh-huh. Um, 
So basically, we get that to this point where now Lennon is sort of sitting around in his office, kind of like smoking with his buddies. And they're start, they're trying to kind of figure out, they got this massive block of unemployed Jews. And they're like, what? where do we fucking park all these people? Like, Because again, the Soviet Union is based off of these, you know, these ethnic ties and lines and divisions. So it, within that mindset too, it makes sense that they're like, yeah, we got to put them somewhere. And they wanted it to be like a non-imperial empire. Where right. It's like, we're not going to dominate you. We're not going to be like those capitalists, but like, we're also going to kind of, dominate you yeah (laughs) yeah it's the soviet union is a very very complicated Mm -hmm. sort of it's a hell of a drug yeah um so lemon in particular did hope to sort of like cut off uh support for like zionism and like the the state of israel existing for pretty mundane reasons which is just like you got all these like several thousand hundreds of thousands and like millions of people in like the empire technically not an empire but in the union and like you don't want all those people to fucking leave like they could be doing jobs especially not for religious reasons yeah you know um so uh it was basically between cutting that off which would just see a bunch of people leaving the ussr and then also kind of trying to cut off sort of the like what was called the yiddish anarchist sort of kind of group of thought that we like people like emma goldman who are like sometimes coming back to russia and just being like hey communism's not gonna save you either like we have to fucking fuck all states um and that in particular is pretty no-no in the soviet union since like as we kind of said before ethno-nationalism is kind of like the lifeblood of how it's organized so if you have a bunch of people coming in and saying ethno-nationalism is for suckers like you know it's no good so a number of different locations were considered. Uh, the Crimean Peninsula was considered because a lot of Jews lived there. Unsurprisingly, a lot of people who weren't Jewish were like, I'm not really super down with that. Um, but the, the location. PTA. In yeah. The Crimean PTA was really not about to bust in a bunch of Jews. Um, not fans. Which is also interesting because the people who live there within a couple decades are going to see a mass deportation. Whether the, Cre- the Crimean tar- Tatars are going to be deported to Uzbekistan. It's like a whole fucking thing. You could – people make whole careers off of studying uh-huh. this fucking time. But the, basically the place that they um, decided was uh, – that was the best location was the north bank of the Amur River bordering the Heilongjiang province in northeastern China, back then contested Manchuria. That might sound really far away. From, like, what are we talking about? Like, Poland and Russia and, like, all this. It's because of this. It's super fucking far. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's, the it's best way. It's a nine-hour flight and then a three-hour train ride now is what I've heard from Moscow. The best way to think about it is what's the farthest place we could put? What's the farthest place that's in Russia that we could put these people, like, away from Moscow and everything? And they were like, oh, a part that's not even 100% Russia yet. Mm-hmm. So the calculus behind this was kind of uh, – it was, was manifold. First of all, this is kind of a colonial region. So they're kind of thinking that they can bolster kind of Soviet presence by putting a bunch of Jews on the border of uh, what at that point was basically the Japanese Empire and China because, um, you know, they were, they were about to get into some shit. Um, secondly, there was a pretty large Cossack population that had sort of fled there after the war. So they figured it was pretty safe to put Jews there because they wouldn't really feel like they could conspire with the Cossacks to overthrow the Soviets there because of previous tensions that we mentioned earlier. Um, And then from a foreign policy perspective, too, the USSR was really trying to garner the favor of um, 
the Western powers, England, America, all those things. Because, yeah, their existence in a lot of ways is kind of hinge on a little bit of Western support in the early stage. So they just figured that they could appeal to, like, Zionism is such a hot topic and, like, what we do with the Jews is such a hot topic. So why don't we just basically reach over the governments and just get the court of public opinion on our side? Like, hey, check it out, guys. We built a little Jew cubby. <laughs> Pretty what much. Think? You can keep your Jews here. Come visit them a couple times a year. Yeah. They have have outside time. They're playing with each other. Look at that. That one made a friend. Those two. (laughs) They never do that. Those two keep kissing. (laughs) Um, This one's named Sprinkle. (laughs) The last one was basically a bunch of Soviet uh, officials thought that giving the area to the Jews to like work in agriculture would make them more like Soviet. And like socialist toughen us up. I don't even know what that means. I don't think they knew what it mean, meant either. I think that it was just like, really, we just don't want to look at them. Mm-hmm. But no, I, think- I kind of see what it means. Like, it's like it's like it's like they're shipping us off to the camp from holes. You know, it's like yeah. go over there. You got to fucking- go digging those holes. <laughs> You've got to go blast those O's. It doesn't quite work. <laughs> um, uh, you got to O blast those O's. So basically, after that, 1928, Stalin, we kind of, a lot happened in the Soviet Union too, but Stalin's in power now, mm-hmm. and Stalin kind of officially says like, hey, this area right next to China is, you know, now it's the JAO, um, and kind of gives the order to form the town of Birobidjan. Birobidjan? Birobidjan Alcabez over here, give me a break. <laughs> Birobidjan <laughs> um, That's me. It wasn't particularly populated. It's like pretty rough country. Um, yeah, they um, they had some uh, like imperials or not uh, just like scout guy go check it out, and they said that the bugs there were evil. Um, so it's like kind of swampy, lots of mosquitoes, really rocky. It's like not a good place to, at least for what they were working with at the time, was not like some sort of one. There were evil bugs place. there before they even sent the Jews, folks. <laughs> That's it's- a deal breaker, ladies. It's kind of interesting. It's one of those areas of like of it's just like anywhere that's like super far north or like super high in the desert. It's like you kind of without like to have a good time there, you kind of need to have like centuries of connection to the land and stuff because there are people living there. They're um, what we would kind of call Manchu uh, Manchurian people kind of that whole area. We don't really get a good education on exactly how ethnic lines kind of exist there but basically there'd be people who'd been living there for a long time and they were kind of like yeah that's a pretty rough spot you chose um and you're gonna you're gonna send what's this i'm hearing jews you're gonna send jews there okay all right once um, interesting once i was in the the czech republic and i told a man there that i was visiting from california and he just laughed and laughed (laughs) he was like like, are you kidding me why would you come (laughs) here and you came here he laughed in your face yeah yeah, that's a that's a very real experience. I feel like for most people traveling abroad, where they're like, "You're from paradise. Why did you yeah, come yeah. to a shithole?" Yeah, it's like, "Oh, it's beautiful here." And they're like, "No, it's not. I'm yeah. from here. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's terrible." If I lived in California, I'd stay in California. Yeah. But you know, that's everyone's got their own thing. Um, so yeah, basically they kind of show up and they're like, "All right, this is it. We're gonna be. We've gone from being like craftsman Jews and now we're gonna be hardy Jews. You know, we're gonna be we're gonna have be a cold tolerant variety of Jew. Davy Crockett Jews. Um, you want? <laughs> Trying to play it cool. Give him a beer. Beer. Will be Give John's the poor pointing. lad a beer. He's in. He's in school basically right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, man. Maybe I could <laughs> drink at school. You always could. It was just a little riskier. Um, thoughts like that are the mind killer, man. You gotta just. That's gotta not just for him. That's for us. <laughs> That's true. He didn't read Dune. That's true. Um, so basically, uh, the Soviet government basically made this thing, and it's called Birobijan. It was they were like, let's build a fucking town here. If we build the town first, and the Jews come later, it's gonna work. Who's uh, gonna build the town though? Great not- question. <laughs> Whoever was unfortunate to like be there probably they kind of didn't really build the town yeah they kind of half built the town well because all the people they were like uh, worried about rising up against them built the town i was listening to the like that uh that speaker you sent me josh and she was kind of saying that they were saying like yeah like we need to have infrastructure first and then people and it's like okay well how do you get the dang infrastructure (laughs) yeah yeah it's a little chicken egg thing and uh in all their infinite wisdom they didn't build great barracks and there weren't you know great electricity or food or and kind of as we mentioned before agriculture is pretty difficult around there they ended up kind of finding their way into like uh metal working and stuff like that because there's a lot of natural resources there but the first couple of years were definitely like harsh as fuck apparently about half of the people who showed up in the first round kind of leave within four months because they're like this shit sucks and that's at a time where you don't really have freedom of movement like you would have like you can't just buy a, a train ticket and, you know, hop on back to Moscow. So it's like a pretty big deal to flee somewhere when you're not really allowed to go anywhere else. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, and there was also like I, we didn't get too much into what I was reading, but there was also some level of tension between all the different peoples living there. There's a pretty large Korean population that was living there, too. And I can only imagine just because of how like Russia and the Soviet Union worked. I'm sure they were not treated as equal citizens to even like enemy cossacks or like jews like there's always some kind of ranking mm-hmm. system you know what i mean and like whoever's the most different is almost always going to be on that fucking there's always someone cooler than you yep <laughs> ethnically speaking <laughs> that didn't stop the soviet union from still heavily pushing what they called the bureau bijan experiment which is what if we all we put all the jews over there mm-hmm. and not just the soviet union like uh people from abroad Zionist groups, well, not Zionist, but like Jewish autonomy fans. Yeah, essentially, like kind of like foreigners doing propaganda on behalf of the place to like because it was kind of a romantic idea, and I, people I, kind of showed up. There are like tens of thousands of people at the height. I think there's a lot of Jews with money who are kind of like, I'm not gonna be the first people there, but let's see how this <laughs> fucking plays out. Yeah, you know, I'll put some money to it. Um. And then, just as a fun note, I found a, a little paragraph describing a Soviet propaganda play called A New Homeland that was made, that was written to uh, a- attract Jews to Birobidjan. Oh, this would be a good counterpoint because I have a little uh, thing on what the conditions were actually like. So, so um, in the this is a quote from Wikipedia. In the Russian language play Novaya Rodina, so sorry, everyone, it means a new homeland, um, by British, or not British, excuse me, by Soviet playwright Victor Fink, celebrated Birobidjan as the coming together of communities, the Koreans, the Amor Cossacks, and the Jews. Each community has its own good and bad characters, but ultimately, <laughs> the good characters from each community learn to cooperate and work with each other. To symbolize the unity achieved, the play ends with mixed marriages with one of the Jewish characters marrying a Korean, the other Jewish mar- character marrying a Cossack, and a Cossack marrying a Korean. Which only goes to say that, like, tone-deaf white people have existed forever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They're like, this is so beautiful. Look at how they kiss each other. <laughs> yes. Um, 
I, I was reading just some just like what it was like actually living there. Um, and apparently they were just kind of so impoverished that they lived in this thing called or that many early settlers there lived in something called. And I also apologize. Zemilyanki, um, which are huts made of sod and a thatch just built over a hole in the ground. So they were truly just living in holes in the ground. Like that was the level of planning. That like Patrick went. Starr? Yeah. No, but even less because he has like a little like house. Like they were just. Well, yeah. Yes. Right. They were literally just living in the hole. In the, well, and yeah, because they're like they're, very, and by they're the way, hiding from bugs. Yeah, and this is somewhere extremely cold too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, no. I mean, like, this is not a place that, like, if you're not from, like, I was kind of what I was trying to say. If you're not from there, it's like not a place you like go to to like hang out and be yeah. like, wow, new start. Like, <laughs> yeah, Moscow, too dirty for me. I'm looking for the clean air uh-huh. of Birobidjan. Well, you know, so like one of the other places they talked about putting all the Jews was in the British Empire. They called it you. It was like part of I think it was part of Kenya, but people would refer to it as like British Uganda. But anyway, it was like an arid place of you know sparsely populated British Empire territory. That sounds a bit more hospitable, at least in the purely climate sense. Yeah, just like dumping a bunch of Jews there. That didn't happen. Uh, it caused a lot of tension within the Zionists who were like, you know, we're not going to do that. Oh, that's the thing, the Uganda plan mm-hmm. that you'll sometimes hear about where our, the, the most famous Zionist, Theodore Herzl, is like, I mean, we can, we'll take Uganda. Yeah, it was like, that's kind of like a starter. Yeah. A starter plan. It also kind of shows, unfortunately, that like, uh, the, I what I would, this is my little analysis hat on, but I think one of the dangers that everyone trying to find a place to put the Jews fell into is like working with these big empires to help them do it, mm-hmm. whether it was working with the Brits in Uganda or ultimately uh, what became the state of Israel, but was like British Palestinian territory, whether it was working with the Russians, you know, even now, whether it's kind of like the ties between Israel and the U.S., like when you're working with a big empire to do your thing, you're inheriting all their craziness. And but, but what other option is there besides working with a big fat empire? Propaganda the deed, bro. Propaganda yeah. Well, that's <laughs> the damn deed. That's yeah. kind of to hark back to it. That's kind of what Lenin Lenin. That's where Lenin's mind went was like, Oh, if we don't give them this, then like the, you know, it, there's probably going to be a lot more people who are kind of more into this Yiddish anarchism where it's like, what if we don't have a state and actually, that's the best way we could possibly yeah, what if be. No, oh, yeah. I see. Like, what if we don't have a state leads to what if nobody has a state? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of interesting that, like, the idea of the Jews being a people in this in this way that, like, it was kind of a threat mm-hmm. to the order of things. I mean, that's typically the, like, that's essentially the line of thinking behind that, uh, that anti-Semitic trope of, like, well, the Jews are always kind of, like, doubly loyal. Mm-hmm. Right? Where now it's like they're always going to be, you know, loyal to the state of Israel, which that's kind of like the same thing they say about Catholics. It kind of like morphed right. into that. Yeah. Well, there was this guy um, I came across, Simon Dubnow. He was like a early 1900s Yiddish historian guy. And his take, which proved to just kind of be like tragically wrong, was that it was like <laughs> the highest – like the highest form of evolution. And this was like Darwinism era. So this was like – in the mix um for a people was to be a people but not a physical nation because then like people can't go to war with you people won't be threatened by you taking their power so like he was like that's what's so great about the jews is like they have these cultural ties but they're not like there's the big army of the jews and here's the border of jewishness 
Um, and then like the whole first half of the 1900s happened. Yeah, um, I was gonna say that didn't age so well. No, being a stainless yeah. steel like wasn't so great. Um, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, where where were we? We were talking. Oh, basically, Stalin. we're talking. We're talking. Times were shitty. People showed up, but it like wasn't that good. Um, yeah, and that's basically the the trend for the for for most of it. Um, basically, the the like there's throughout the sort of like tenor of the early 20th century, there's kind of attempts made at it or whatever. Uh, there's kind of a really big peak of people at like kind of as nazi germany starts to become a thing which makes a lot of sense state of israel doesn't really exist i think this after is after the depression it's like a place somewhere else to go yeah i think this is also around the time that the brits were actually trying to like stop a lot of jewish immigration to palestine where they were like whoa there's kind of a lot of you like everyone chill the fuck out because they wanted some of the stuff was like because they wanted the arabs to go against the germans like this shit is all refract through like a million layers of imperialism yeah. but, um but then basically world war ii does happen um again you kind of see an uptick because people who formerly lived in europe who might have lived through world war ii and the holocaust were like fuck this place uh which is a reasonable uh reasonable position yeah. to I take. I mean, people, like, I didn't know this again until researching this, but, like, Ukraine was one of the worst, worst, worst places to be during the Holocaust, and, like, a third of the people who died in the Holocaust were in Ukraine. Um, so, you know, you had people leaving Ukraine, one part of the Russian world, to go to... Yeah. You guys, I am going to the Oblast. Pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, basically, that kind of brings us to the modern era, which is, like... Oh, we should... Can I add one thing, yeah. which is... So, there was never a majority of Jewish people there in its entire existence. Like, the closest it got in this pretty sparsely populated place was, like, almost 50%, but never quite. So, there was never, it was never, like, a fully Jewish place. There were these kind of Jewish institutions. There were, like, Yiddish newspapers and synagogues and stuff. And for a time, people were kind of so excited. Like, that was what was the appeal about it. It's, like, even though it wasn't exactly, like, a functioning Jewish place... It was a kind of this blank canvas to be like, what would like Yiddish high culture look like? Because Yiddish was sort of this like considered to be this sort of street or home language, but not like a language of high culture for a while. And then people started writing in it and making magazines and stuff and so on. And so anyway, this like Jewish cultural base is forming there periodically. And then at various moments for various historical reasons, Stalin would be like, actually, that's bad now. So like. Yeah, You know, as he's consolidating power, you know, people forming this, like, you know, kind of forming their own culture looks looks an awful lot like nationalism. That's like not not the Russian kind. So it's bad or just like fully full anti-Semitism, like in the kind of late Stalin years with this thing called the doctor's plot and just like general blaming the Jews and like, quote unquote, like rootless cosmopolitans for lots of bad things and just like suspicion and espionage. And all sorts of other stuff. So, like, they, like, sent all the Jews there, and then they're like, you know, you can't speak Yiddish, and, like, we're going to burn your books and kill and literally kill people. And so, like, they both created it and never let it fully exist. Right. There's also – it's also worth noting that there were – this was kind of a thing that the USSR did a lot. This was a region where you could own private property that was allowed. So you would also just get, like, regular Russian citizens who were like, well, fuck it. I want to own a fucking farm. Like, I can't do that in fucking Russia proper. It's the only place where you There's said? a couple other places, but, like, again, there's kind of, like, that level of, like, I think you can do it in, like, some of the other oblasts, but there's a bunch of people who live in those oblasts, and, like, a lot of them fucking hate Russians. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, like, these, like, experimental fringe zone, but then sometimes 
you know, they're like too far outside. Yeah. And they need, they get brought back in. So after World War II, interest sort of picked back up, but it's ultimately overshadowed by the formation of the only other Jewish jurisdiction in the world, a country I cannot for the life of me remember the name of. Is we've it def- Israel? We've definitely never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. It's not Israel. It is Israel. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's the only other one. Um, so when the USSR ultimately dissolved in the 1990s, um, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this oblast. Um, the vast majority of the Jews left the JAO and left for Israel and just generally the West. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of the people who were Jewish and in like Russia proper for that whole time probably remained in Russia. And then the people who had kind of been tr- sort of trying to find their way probably just said like, fuck it, they did it down there. Yeah. Um, and there was, I came across some stuff about like, American Jews who were really trying to like sponsor Soviet Jews to leave and like support them being disappointed when these people show up and like they do not want to be Jewish anymore or not Jewish in the way that like an American Jew with freedom of religion and so on is, Um, you know, they're just sort of like, yeah, we want to leave all that behind. Uh, And it's like a bit of a flop in a sense. So overall, my own opinion, the Soviet goal of making a Soviet-style republic, but this time for Jews, never really took hold. I think that's that's not really my opinion. I think that's yeah. pretty pretty clear. I mean, the fact. Oh, and and so now these days, like they're just like pretty much aren't any Jews there. There's so a few, like, but like a few. It's like less than one percent. You know, so less than the percentage of like Jews in America. Yeah, actually, yeah, I think. yeah, that's a good. We're point. at least one percent, right? I think. I think. Ratio-wise, I think there are more Jews in America mm-hmm. than there are in the Jewish Oblast. We're the Jewish American Oblast. Damn. We're the Jews in America. <laughs> so, didn't come together. There's no, obviously, there's no cultural ties for the land for all of these Jews, and many non-Jewish people were traveling there anyways just because they wanted to fucking own farms. The various anti-Semitic purges in the Soviet core doesn't really help much either. And then overall, like the impact culturally on the region is like – purely surface level right you can go there and there's like a menorah in the middle of the town square at birobidzhan right isn't it the world's biggest hanukkah is that is that what i read i don't know if you read that i, I didn't I hear didn't that. that i heard i heard something like that <laughs> that sounds Man, like that sounds like world. soviet propaganda <laughs> it kind of does. we have uh the largest one no 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 it's the biggest <laughs> yeah um so all the signs are in Yiddish, right? And they're all named for like really kind of scholarly Yiddish intellectuals and and Jews of note. Um, and you can you, like you can go there and people will be like, oh, Jew. And like, and, uh-huh. you know, the people around the area know who Jews are and whatever. They still publish part of the newspaper in Yiddish, yeah. even though nobody really speaks it. But, which is kind of, <laughs> oh, it somehow feels very Russian, like this weird, like. <laughs> yeah. It overall kind of just seems like that town sort of aesthetic and cultural kind of melange sort of exists for a population that just doesn't live there anymore yeah it's just they left and they, like uh, yeah masha gessen the new yorker writer has a book about this place um i forget what the title is um but uh they talk about trying to find jewish food in Bijan and you know they're like they first they go to the chinese food restaurant because that's where they've heard serves jewish food and they go there and they're like no we don't really do that anymore like we used to have the jewish menu but nobody ordered it you know, they try, they go here, they go there, and then finally at their hotel, someone like finds a can of kafilta fish somewhere and just kind of heats it up on a plate and gives it to them. I'm like, that's that's like the level of Jewish culture that yeah. remains in a kind of active way. Which is interesting because it's like, 
it's interesting to think about that because I was hearing about that like that talk too. It's like it's interesting that like it's still obviously within the cultural memory. Yeah, but it really is like Jews. No, they don't come by here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Jews. I haven't heard that name in a while. <laughs> so yeah that's my little bit on the Uh fucking jao and birobijan and sort of the weird soviet version of israel that is like so distinctly soviet in so many ways and like so distinctly it's like tragicomic is the only way i feel about it it's kind of like in the way that like if you look at israel and like its politics it does very much seem like wow a bunch of Brits thought this one up. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, this is really that yeah. version of this, but it's like, wow, a bunch of fucking yeah. godless Soviet communists uh-huh. fucking thought this uh-huh. one up. Who are like, we won't have any, like, autonomy, but also, like, never do the wrong thing or we'll yeah. kill you. It's like autonomy, yeah. but don't be that autonomous. Yeah. Come on, dog. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, that's my little bit on the JAO. Um, now that we're done pummeling you with facts, John, <laughs> what, what are you thinking? I mean, no, yeah, it's just kind of... Seems like the kind of thing that was, like, set into action without anyone actually being checked in with, like, hey, do you, like, want this? Yeah. It seems like, I don't know. There was a big, I kind of definitely got vibes that, like, Soviet leadership was like, ah, the way to the Jews. I got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, they're just sort of arbitrarily done, like. But were there any Jews who were like, yes, I am all about the Oblast? I think, like, the first thousand that showed up. Well, and it was an interesting thing. It seemed like at least some of the big supporters were these kind of, like, Yiddish intellectuals who kind of liked the sound of it. Or some of them didn't even live there. Like, the big, um, find this guy's name. Right, they liked the sound of it. They didn't like the bugs. Yeah, they right. didn't like living in a little hole. Like this guy with the with the um, kind of wonderful name David Bergelson. Um, he was like a er, like nineteen, I think like nineteen thirties or something like that. He was a Yiddish writer. He wrote all these essays and like stirring whatever things, telling people to go there. And like he visited, but he just never even lived there. And then in the end, Stalin executed him <laughs> because he was like too. Oh my god, this shit is so crazy. Okay, so he was part of this thing. I forget the exact name, but it was like the anti-fascist league or something like that. And there were these group, a lot of them Jews in Russia during World War II, who traveled around. They tried to raise money. They tried to lobby U.S. Jews to make the U.S. care more about World War II, etc. And Boy, like they really fucked that one up. Yeah. Well, and but so the thing is, like during World War II, Russia liked them. They're like, great, like you're winning support for the cause and like helping us fight the Nazis. And then after World War II, they were like, wow, like you guys are too nationalist. You're making too much noise. I'm going to kill you now. And so anyway, that's what happened to this guy, Bergelson. Um, he kind of played the game for a while, encouraged people to move to this thing that he never moved in, and then uh, got killed for being too prominent. Um, I have kind of a little like postscript to all this, which is just like, what's happened to the Jews since then in Russia? Uh-huh. Um, if you yeah, guys would be absolutely. interested in sure. that. In Russia, in Russia in general or in the... Yeah, well, no, in Russia more generally, just because I was thinking like, what made me want to think more about contemporary Russia and all this is like one of the big things Putin has been saying for a long time, um, kind of all the way back in 2014, is that like the, the reason he is doing these kind of invasions and like low boiling insurgencies that Russia is supporting in Ukraine is because he's getting rid of the Nazis in Ukraine, um, which is Ukraine is not a Nazi country. There are neo-Nazis there, but they're not in power all that much the claim stems from for anyone who doesn't know 
um, the claim stems from a particular segment of the National Guard that's called the Azov Brigade, um, which not going to sugarcoat it. It's a bunch of fucking Nazis. They are. Yeah. Is it a problem that they're a part of the National Guard? Formally. formally? Yeah, yeah. It's a super <laughs> enormous problem. Yeah. Uh, should that be allowed? Probably not. Has the current government kind of refused to do anything about that? Absolutely. It's also worth noting that the political party that sort of represents them within the greater Ukrainian politics basically doesn't exist. Um, but they were really, really – they were kind of during the Maidan revolution. They kind of were very vocal and kind of very present in a lot of that. So optically speaking, you could kind of make – if you're tricky enough with what you view, you could kind of be like, see, this whole revolution that happened in 2013 and 14 was all just a bunch of fucking mm-hmm. Nazis. This may be a, an oversimplification, but I feel like any job where you get a gun as a part of a job is going to attract Nazis. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, or any job called the National Guard. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. yeah, the only version that doesn't really lead to that is the like the anti-Nazi guards. Yeah, or it's <laughs> the like anti-National the, Guard. The, the Nazis keep picking up guns, so we yeah. decided to get a few for Fuck ourselves. Yeah, guard. but then even those guys, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, it, it, it can be a slope. But yeah, so anyway, this is this thing that Vladimir Putin is really sticking with for you know damn near a decade at this point. Um, you know, even though, for instance, like the president of Ukraine, Jewish ancestry. Um, but part of that is because in Russia for a while, they didn't acknowledge that the Holocaust was in part to kill all the Jews. It was just like, oh, it was just fascism. And that's why fascism is bad. So so when a, like when a Russian leader says I'm killing Nazis, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm killing people who are killing Jews. It's like I'm killing yeah. people who are fascists. So that's one kind of interesting thing. On the other hand, a lot of Putin's like really close buddies are Jews. A lot of the oligarchs who have risen to enormous power in modern Russia were Jews for kind of the same reason that there were these kind of like wealthy trader Jews in earlier periods because it was sort of like they were kept out of the party, the Communist Party. They were kept out of like the ultra upper high echelon, but they were really ambitious and they kind of had this like trader entrepreneurial heritage. And so they like found ways to be very rich. And also, apparently, Vladimir Putin, like, grew up next to some friendly Jews <laughs> who, like, gave him soup and stuff. I, you know um, what? He is the kind of person who would be like, ah, I cannot, you know, I must defend these people for yeah. they gave me soup when I was but a lad. Literally, yeah, because his parents were kind of, like, out of the house a lot. Yeah, because that one lady from Twitter who wanted to be his mom never got to be his mom. So. <laughs> yes, and he's very sentimental. So anyway, he's, like, surrounded by a lot of Jews. Um, interestingly enough, there's this guy... Um, who they call Putin's rabbi, who is a big um, Chabad guy, who uh... <laughs> for for a for a, a people that generally is thought of to stereotypically run the media, we are terrible at our own PR. <laughs> yeah, Putin's <laughs> rabbi. <laughs> what is this guy's name? If people were calling me Putin's rabbi, I'd be like. Yeah, maybe X and A on that. <laughs> no, hey, he bro, I it. love you, but we can't be seen no, in public together. It. So it's like it's this guy Beryl Lazar. He's a Chabadnik. Um, and the kind of interesting thing with him in modern Russia is so like there were all these Jewish oligarchs at the end of the Soviet Union, like 90s, early 2000s, you know, Jewishness starts to become a little more mainstream. They start to like have their own formal. I forget what it was called, but it was this kind of like council of the Russian Jews. And they were like saying things, doing this and that. It was backed by an oligarch that Putin doesn't like. So Vladimir Putin 
being the way that he is, he tried to just kind of create like his parallel own thing that he has way more control over. So like he's really buddy buddy with Habad because they're kind of not part of this. Gotcha. Of the oligarchs Jews. All of this is very Russian too. Yeah. So of like, the, like we'll give them their own little thing. And then a couple decades later being like, hmm, imagine, really like how much imagine yeah. you're like a freshman in college and like, you're kind of lonely. There's not a lot going on for you. And your mom's like, just go to Chabad for Shabbat dinner. And you're like, fine. And you show up and Putin's there. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, he like really is gung ho about it. Like he, um, there's like this big Holocaust museum in Moscow that is affiliated with Chabad. And he said he was going to donate his salary for a month to like help do it and like have his guards help protect it. Um, though, interestingly enough, this library won't share with like the U.S. Abadniks, even though they have all this material and like archival stuff that they really like. So, anyway, Putin's just like, on the one hand, using like shadow or, or like inflating the threat of Nazism to justify killing tons of people, including Jews in Ukraine, while on the other hand, strategically using Jewish influence to just like as another kind of pawn in the country. You know what? To be honest, you can sort of say that a bit about just kind of like how the West uses Israel too. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's kind totally. of, and that's sort of the thing that like really that like the story of Jews in the twentieth and twenty first century really just seems to hone around like how can people more powerful than us, mm-hmm. but with like basically how can people more powerful than us give us enough guns to do what they want, but not too many guns, no. Yeah. Um, and also, okay, and this sounds like so anti-Semitic propaganda of me, but the Russian, the, there is like a thicket of connections between Russian Habadniks, Russia, Russian leaders, Russian oligarchs, and then like sleazy New York real estate guys. Yes. So like Trump's, people who Trump like developed real estate with in Moscow and in New York are tied to these oligarchs. And because they're super rich Russian guys who are oftentimes Jewish, they're supporting Chabad. They're tight with Putin. So it's just this kind of God like damn. weird social orbit where like, you know, um, Roman Abramovich, the big Russian oligarch, his ex-wife is like buddies with Ivanka Trump and they like party and hang out together. And like Mar-a-Lago hosted a wedding for one of these big oligarch guys. So it's just this weird like kind of conservative, ultra-moneyed elite thing. It's kind of funny because it a bit goes back to the very beginning with, like, when, when we were talking about the Russian Empire and stuff. It's not that long ago, but, like, back then, it was all kings and all these people who have, like, vast amounts of resources and whatever who have literally fucking zero things in common with anyone they've ever met ever aside from other royalty. And it's kind of like its own version of that, right? Is it's like... At the end of the day, Jews are kind of still at the kind of mercy of how these isolated people who could care less about who lives and who dies feel about them at any given point. Totally. But just now some of those isolated people are also Jewish. Yeah. And and another thing is like the prime minister of Israel is kind of trying to play it both ways right now because there are a lot of like rich Russian emigres in Israel who are like supporting the Holocaust Museum and donating to jewish settlements and and so on and so like yeah i mean aren't a bunch of israelis like just russians if you go back a couple Mm -hmm. generations and a bunch of russians are trying to go to israel because israel hasn't sanctioned them yet so like a mass of private jets headed towards tel aviv basically when 
it seemed like everyone else was about to sanction all the Russians and Naftali Bennett, the prime minister has been like on the phone with Putin and on the phone with Zelensky. And it's like, a I don't know. It's, it's, it's funny to see how far it's gone from like, you know, the Jews are victims of persecution and like we have our own vested interests, but maybe let's try and help them out to just like, what if we were friends with Vladimir Putin and Ukraine? uh, But again, like, the existence of like the state of Israel, like still so much of it just hems off of the idea that like they have the backing of like whatever empire it is, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It seems I would not be super surprised in the next couple of decades if depending on how this war in particular goes, if Putin is ultimately successful, I wouldn't be super surprised to see Israel sort of pivot towards a more pro mm-hmm. Russia kind of angle just because sure. it's like, hey, look, like realistically – like well they already work together in syria because (laughs) so fucking complicated because russia does not like the militias that are backed by iran neither does israel so they like work they're already blowing shit up together right so they don't want to piss them off too much but would america like if if israel really got i mean i guess they're already in bed with russia but like if America, if it was super like not good between America and Russia, would America stop sucking Israel's dick so much? No, no, no? never, <laughs> never. They okay. need them too bad. Never. They're the Middle Eastern whites. We'll never let them go. Well, there's uh, also so, a certain yeah. aspect of it that like the entire man, this will really piss some people off. But like the from a from a geopolitical and strategic military strategy perspective, the country of Israel is just a U.S. military base without our flag. Well, I mean, (laughs) I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before, but have you guys seen that clip of Joe Biden in like not 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 modern, like, let's go, Brandon, fucking like cognizant Joe Biden, cognizant Joe Biden talking about (laughs) the clip. Maybe you could even. Well, I know exactly the clip where he he says uh, it's an amazing quote. He says, if there were not an Israel in the Middle East, we would have to invent one. (laughs) <laughs> God damn! As if they didn't. <laughs> he says it. I love it too because it's him in like early nineties, mid nineties. He's so cognizant. Whereas now, if he tried to say that, he would have been like, "Man, we don't know how good we got it with the Jews." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that kind of wistful way he talks. Well, also yeah. it kind of reminds me of a while ago too. He got in a little bit of trouble during the Obama administration because he referred to a bunch of bankers as Shylocks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's so folksy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just like, man, re- number one, remember when Joe B- Biden like had a brain slash also, maybe we should have started to suspect some things when mm-hmm. he was just like, those were slurs. <laughs> I love my beautiful Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say that word anymore. Huh? Yeah. Look, he's managed to stick around a long time. Yeah. And I think also just uh, another point I'd like to make just because of my own politics or whatever is like I think it's easy to sort of laugh at the end of the day and be like, yeah, of course the fucking Soviet idea of fucking sending a bunch of Jews to Manchuria doesn't work. And like, oh, that's so silly that they would do that. And I'm like, yeah, man, you'd have to like build a whole thing from scratch and whatever. And it's like I'm not going to say that there's zero cultural ties between the Jewish people and like the land that is Palestine and Israel. Like that's not, that's not, that wouldn't be accurate. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think it's worth like when people are saying like, oh yeah, well there has to be a nation state there or like what, whatever all these things are, it's worth kind of thinking about how like cultural ties 
ethnic identity, religious identity, all of these things are actually like pretty different and unique things that aren't necessarily tied up in a less than a hundred year old idea of what statehood is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and if you kind of really buy into the idea of what like modern statehood is, which is really just the uh, ability to field a military that's uh, internationally recognized as legitimate. That's kind of the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because like technically all of the like uh, various reservations in the U.S. are their own nations, and they don't have international legitimacy by any means, right? Mm-hmm. There's tons of autonomous regions like that. Technically, that's what Tibet is. We don't bother fucking writing Tibet on a fucking map. Technically, that's what like huge parts of Russia is. We don't fucking bother with any of that shit because at what point is fucking uh, Astrakhan like Oblast gonna fucking field an army and say fuck you Russia? We're actually our own thing now. It's not gonna happen. Right. So if you kind of view it from that lens and whatever, I would say take that idea and sort of examine your beliefs about like what the state of Israel is and like what 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 that legitimacy means and how it's going to manifest itself and how I would personally argue as an anarchist how that will always manifest itself. What do you mean? It's always going to end up in if the Jews don't have a place to go and whatever, like other these traditional nations and whatever, whether it's in Palestine or whether it's in. Bureau Bijan or whether it's in uh, what was formerly known as the British Uganda, right? If the legitimacy of a state is is basically determined by its ability to f- field military force, then the way it's going to uh, affect that legitimacy is always going to be through violence. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that right. It's like if you have a hammer, you're looking for a nail. Right. Whew. Yeah. And that in in some ways, I remember having this conversation with someone like – Israel is currently like kind of is like modeled around basically a settler colonial state and is a settler colonial state because they're like at the time that it was formed, there was probably no other version of it that could have even existed. Yeah. You know, it's like you're appealing to the British Empire, the fucking Soviet Union and the US to kind of let you be a country. Fine. That's the only way they know how to make a country is by fucking brutalizing people. Yeah. They should do it Burning Man style where. You have to pay a bunch to get in, but once you're in there, no money allowed. Wait, they did for a little bit. What? In Israel, I think, yeah. It was Burning Man style? There was a bit, yeah. I know Canada did that for a while, too. They're not the only nation to have done that, where, like, you can just pay your way into citizenship. Mm-hmm. You can oh, do that I in, I think, Panama, too? You can do that in the United States. What? Yeah, there's an investor visa. Oh. um, It's prone to fraud. Um, <laughs> no way. Yes. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> Shocking. Um, what I would say... I, I agree with what you're saying, Ahani, and I honestly, I feel like um, it's kind of funny looking back at my life. I've like watched my own radicalization, like being in a union definitely helped, being on this podcast definitely helped. Um, but I think like underneath, if you want to go so, so abstract, like underneath the effort of Birobidjan and even Israel, though it's like insanely fraught, is I think a very kind of perennial human need to find somewhere where you feel like you belong sure um and i like i think something that i find captivating about all this stuff even though it's so much of it feels like history and there's so many horrible things that happen to effectuate these ideas is like just the level of idealism necessary in the first place to be like i want to do this thing that's so big it's going to affect my whole people and like everyone i know and the fate of the map and like 
I admire people who are trying to do what they think is something positive on that scale. Like, I just feel like these days it's so hard to find anyone thinking at that level. Like, how are we going to like remake society in this new wonderful way? And like, people always fuck it up. Yeah. And like the powerful find ways to twist it in horrible ways. Nobody wants do... to create utopia anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, These I don't know. I admire, I admire, I guess, just the instinct to try and make society better in a big way and be audacious about it. But I just think there are a lot of forces arrayed against making that happen in a real way that works for everyone. Also, I just thought of it. I completely agree. I also just thought how they like, they really made a big deal about like, where do we put all the Jews when technically that's what they did with the pale settlement was decide where all the Jews go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Like you could have just kept them there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not good either, but no, no, it's, in- it's interesting. And I think it's, it's also interesting that like to a certain extent, there was someone I was reading who was writing that like the pale of settlement is part of what fostered such an intense difference between like, the Jewish people and the people they lived around was that like level of like ge- geographic and cultural isolation mm-hmm. um, that like helped sort of create. I don't want to say the problem because that's sort of how they viewed it, but like the Jewish question, that's part of what created it was like, yeah. well, these people can't live with us. Why not super sure about that? But uh-huh. now a century later, they've somehow developed their own culture and their own. Well, like, yeah, I was going to yeah. say like this part of history seems like a lot of different types of people and types of forces asking question of like where should we put all the jews and some of them had nicer answers than others some of <laughs> yeah, the answers some, were not not very nice at like all this piece of ground somewhere like under the ground yeah 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 in between the extremes of what we'll call like nazi germany and israel as terms of options i think barobijan is like right in the middle yeah and you know what one thing i read that is like if you could say one positive thing is like there was no wide scale massacres inside of Birobidjan amongst its inhabitants. So there wasn't like all the Cossacks killed all the Jews or all the Jews killed all the Koreans or anything, which like for that time in that place in history, I guess that's like almost an achievement in itself. Well, I'm sure because after a certain point, you got like these five different people all sitting around the same campfire just being like. So we can all agree this sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like at the end of the line in a lot of ways. Everyone there who was there, like if you were Korean and there, you were pretty – you were not impossibly far, but you were pretty far from like the Korean peninsula. Um, not that there were – Koreans only lived there historically, but like you're you're a little bit far from like a lot of other people. Um, if you're a Cossack, you've literally been chased there or like told to be resettled there by either the czars or by the the civil war. If you're Jews, you got shipped off there to like go be a people. Um, <laughs> like everyone there probably kind of understood that like we're kind of like the rejects of our various. Yeah, they're like the heel of the bread. Yeah, all in one bag, but like four different heels. And just like, well, you know how at the end of the day, people are gonna need food. Uh, is it okay if we name the food place after this weird Yiddish guy? <laughs> yeah. Is and it has a rainbow flag, which is kind of funny. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. <laughs> and they rode into, like, because, like, Russia, if people don't know, you know, in recent years has become, like, and well, not just in recent years, but has really cranked up the homophobia um, as, like, a kind of just political project. And Birbajan's flag is a rainbow. And so they rode into, like, the Russia, like, is it, to gay committee more or less 
for a ruling on it, and they were like, you know, it's just fine. <laughs> Which is kind of a. I just wonder what other questions that body was dealing with. You know, what I, mean? I took a little bit of a right. peek into like queer Reddit, then I saw some memes about the flag mm-hmm. and whatever, and just I, there wasn't a lot to go on there. Mm-hmm. It was mostly just like w- weird history nerds who also are gay uh-huh. who are like look at this thing and it's just kind of like all right that's like solid c minus memory like mm-hmm. you know I, yeah i found a lot of c minus memory about when it did, it's not a but lot also when there. did uh when did the rainbow become gay that's a good question i don't know find out next time probably not it, probably after 1928 mhm did it have did it have to do with like uh like judy garland somewhere over the rainbow that type of shit i don't know <laughs> <laughs> smite me nation Sound off in the comments. Yeah, I guess you know. Does, does anyone want to say a prayer? Or, I mean, I think it'd be appropriate if we uh, just completely de-religiousified this episode. That seems fair. We could just no recite prayer. kind of like uh-huh. whatever the first couple bits of Mao's red book. Or <laughs> yeah, whoever says a prayer first, we're gonna kill them. Um, yeah, so. write in, <laughs> write in with your prayer and uh, your address and we- your weaknesses. And in thirty years, we might reconsider. Oh, also, just real quick, I thought it was really funny that one of the reasons why it never took off is that, like, especially once they kind of started courting all these Jews from around the world, like, lots of different Jews, lots of different beliefs. Like, some people kind of showed up to the area, being like, "We're going to be regular fucking Russians, and we're going to be regular fucking Russians in our own little Jewish thing." So we'll celebrate Hanukkah, but we'll be Russian. And there were other people who were showing up, being like, "Nah, man, this is like." jewish hippieism like straight up we're just gonna work the land and everyone is like "Ooh, don't really want to do that and then there's like all of these hyper religious people showing up being like this is gonna be the yeshiva the town like yeah and just like they could never really agree on like they could all agree that it was like the jewish autonomous oblast but like they couldn't really decide on like what that means what's the jewish aspect of that and it turned out it was nothing yeah, we're going to start a Patreon to raise funds to send um, uh, a vinyl record containing every one of our podcast episodes to Bureau Bajan. To the Oblast? Yeah, yeah, just as a way to say this is this is what Jewish culture is. We it's... should send them a VHS copy of like Yentl and <laughs> all the other movies. We should from... like just do like a, you know, like a classic movie series like Turner, like Smite Me Classic Movies, like mm-hmm. Hebrew Hammer, Don't Mess With the Zohan, our own Zoom recordings of ourselves. <laughs> I was going to say we could just send them the tape of you at your bar mitzvah, John. <laughs> <laughs> they, they would all probably watch you quoting Dr. King and just all, all shed a single tear. I am my ancestors. It is so inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's just like, you see three people like that, and then the rest of the room is all a bunch of non Jews, and they're like, what is a bar mitzvah? <laughs> yeah, they're like, why are we watching this boy? <laughs> Yeah, I thought this was a Chinese food restaurant. I also straight up though, uh, listeners, if you want to fucking send us some money, this we'll go. <laughs> we'll go to Birobi John. Yeah, we'll go, that's yeah. our first Patreon goal is to raise the funds. To we want to go on Biroba John birthright, <laughs> where they send us there, and then it's it's like regular birthright except it's a one way ticket. They don't tell you, but you get there, and they're like, "Congratulations, you guide yourself. You got a hole in the ground. This is yeah. what you traveled." I mean, I think that would be fun. We'd go to China first and kind of cross the border. Just be like, Honestly, I would. Yeah. 
That actually sounds suspicious, though. I will say, as someone who already has a Cuban stamp in my passport in Nicaragua, that would probably be the the final straw when it comes to U.S. border authorities for me. They don't do they check? Oh yeah. Oh, like I um I was applying to get like the TSA pre check thing, and they really were like, "Why were you in Cuba?" And it's not just a stamp; it's like a full sticker. It's like a page size sticker that they slap in there. Okay, gotcha. Like, yeah, yeah. they want they want they want other people to see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So they're not huge fans. I was just gonna say, yeah, if you have a, as you've as you've probably noticed, we've gone off topic from the the Torah. So if you have ideas for subjects that we should cover or movies we should watch, oh. What is it about Jewfemera that you don't know about that you'd like to hear? Jewfemera. Yeah. You know, I would say the oh, the Oblast is Jewfemera, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Jewfemera. Yes. Well, thanks very much for listening. Um, and we hope you've enjoyed, you know, kind of the new direction of the pod. We've been having a good time with it. Um, I like reading about these stuff. So if you like historical episodes, let me know. Come on. And I can take more on than I should. Come on. <laughs> Three, two, one, oh, oh blast, blast off. off. <laughs> there we go. All right. All right. All right. All right.